When we talk about Jesus Christ, you're talking about a human being. He's God, but He's in a human body. And it's so easy for us to relate, to understand, because we are human. When we get to this section where it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, now when we start talking about God in spirit form, it gets a little more difficult for us. There is no biography of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. But He doesn't have a human biography. And so all of those human ways in which you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and connect to Jesus... He's his parents, and he's eating, and he's fellowshipping, and he's tra- all the things that are human about Jesus that you can connect to, you're going to have difficulty with the Spirit because it's going to be a little different now. Spirit is different than physical body. The section is, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We do believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe in the Holy Spirit as God. It'll take several weeks to just take it in bite-sized pieces and talk about the Holy Spirit. This morning, I just want to talk about the promise of the Spirit. Uh, The reason that demon possession totally creeps me out, and I hope you too, you know, uh, I'm not adverse to watching horror movies, uh, but I, I do not watch the ones... Uh, where some little girl is demon possessed, you know what I'm saying, and and terrorizing a, a, a house or something. Those are just they creep me totally out. And I'll tell you why demon possession creeps me out because I know it's not only a possibility for a human to be inhabited by a demonic spirit, but I know it's a reality. And so suddenly for me, I'm not watching a hypothetical fantasy movie. I'm watching something that plays out every day on planet Earth in a supernatural, unclean spirit connecting with a human being and causing torments and all kinds. And I know that's real. It's not a joke. Uh, And so that, that really messes with it. Jesus wasn't really addressing demon possession, but he used this analogy in trying to talk to his generation. Here's what he said in Matthew He said, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places, dry places, KJV, seeking rest, and it does not find it. Let me pause right there. Let me tell you why. Because spirits are meant to be embodied. Here's a spirit outside of a body demon, and it's seeking for a place. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied swept clean, put in order. Then the unclean spirit, the demon, goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and it goes in and lives there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Yeah, no longer having a demon. Now you've got seven or eight or whatever living inside of you. This is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now Jesus is talking about something else, but he makes this illustration. And just the fact that Jesus is alluding to it as a matter of, so a matter of factly, uh, that yes, unclean spirits can get in people. Let me see if I can address that. The human body is a house. It's a house which you live in. You are a spirit embodied right now. And I know that because you're alive. If you're dead, then the spirit leaves and you're disembodied. But right now you're alive and your spirit is in a body. The body is like a house you live in and you are in here. Now, again, it's one, but really there's multiple things going on right here. There's a spirit in this body inhabiting it. And evidently, The human body was made in such a way that not only could my spirit, the spirit of Bobby, live inside this body, but there is a void inside of me that is made uniquely for the spirit of God to live in. Now, I don't really know how to describe this beyond, I'm out of adjectives already, so just bear with me. Somehow, something in Adam and Eve died 
when they sinned in the Garden of Eden. They didn't physically drop dead, but something died. God said, the day you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And something died. And the only thing we can consider that died is somehow the Spirit of God left them. They became spiritually dead, which is why you need to be born again. And this is what John and Jesus and Nicodemus are all discussing. Come to Mom's Wednesday night. You'll get a whole primer on this very shortly about how all of this works. But something in us died, and the only way I know to describe it to you, and if I'm not describing it correctly, forgive me, but somehow in an unsaved person, there's a void shaped like the Spirit of God. The living God should live in that void, and something about our rebellion against God made us lost. We lost the Spirit of God. We lost our connection to eternal life. We lost our relationship with God and we need to be born again with a spiritual birth. The Holy Spirit's no longer inhabiting the house. Now when I think about what Jesus said, I'm like, it just kind of clicks together from my mind. Okay, there's a room for rent then. There's an empty void in the heart of a person who's not in a relationship with God. There's something about us that's, there's a vacancy there, spiritual vacancy. And Satan often, Satan may not be the right word, the demonic forces of evil leverage that vacancy and can inhabit the house of a human being. You may have never experienced this, I don't know, but we've experienced it a lot as we do mission work in foreign countries. If you want the latest case, you can talk to Jeremy. He exercised a, a demon from a woman with our disciples uh, in India just not long ago. It's a very day-to-day reality, especially in the very idolatrous uh, countries. So let me give you a more positive side because I don't want to creep you out with a horror show this morning. So let me me lighten that a little bit. Here's the very positive side of that. We who have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and King, when you're saying, Lord, come into my life and be my Savior, you've been given God's Spirit. He has moved in to your life. Paul said to the believers in Rome these words, You, however, speaking to believers, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, you operate on a whole nother system. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of... What's the word? Now here's what I want you to see. I want you to see a synonym beginning to happen because part of what's confusing about Christianity for all of us, especially for new Christians, is the way we use language as Christians. In other words, we say things, you've, you've heard me illustrate this, but we'll say things like, you need to believe on Jesus. Or we'll say things like, you need to accept Jesus. Or we'll say things like, you need to be born again. You need to put your faith in Christ. You, you need to be saved. And I could just go on. I, mean, I don't know how many synonyms we have for being saved, receiving Christ as your saved, but we got a bunch of them. And it's confusing as people hear us talk about we're saying the same thing. We're saying it different with different uh, language. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is called the Advocate, the Paraclete, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. So when you hear these phrases over the next few weeks... And you think, oh, he's talking about a different spirit. No, same spirit, just different reference. So here's what Paul says to the Romans. If anyone has not the spirit of Christ, again, it's the spirit of God. They do not belong to Christ. So let me say this in the simplest terms. To every believer, when you receive Christ, the spirit of God lives in you. He has made his home in your body. Now, I don't want to freak you out again. You are possessed. 
But you're possessed in the most glorious way by the Spirit of the living God, which is exactly the connection to eternal life everyone wants. In other words, if I said to mere mortals, I can make you Superman, you just got to connect to this, be inhabited. We're talking about God coming to live inside of us, which is radical language. It's not really Old Testament language, it's really radical New Testament language. Language, But here's what I want to say to you. If it is true, and I know it is, if it is true that the Spirit of God has come to live in the life of every believer, then shouldn't there be a big difference between a person who has the Spirit of God in them and a person who does not have the Spirit of God in them? I just want you to think about that for a minute. If you have the Spirit of God, and I know you do, then shouldn't there be something radically different? Shouldn't there be a big difference in your life, your existence, your behavior, who you are, than the person who does not have the Spirit of God living in them? I don't really know how to illustrate this except in a crude way, but if I said to you, hey, hey, hey Jeff, I had an encounter with God and he gave me a supernatural ability to play golf. Now, Jeff knows that I shoot about a 105, okay? I do not have an ability to play golf, okay? And, but if I said, Jeff, something miraculous happened, God appeared to me this week, he saw me out there cleaning my clubs and chipping in the backyard, and God took such pity on me, he said, Bobby, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to have a supernatural experience with you right now. And, and, and Jeff, I met with God, he had a, we had a supernatural conversation about this, and he he's gifted me in a supernatural encounter to be able to play golf. Jeff's going to say, let's go play. Right? Jeff's a competitor. He's going to say, let's go play. Now, I can already tell you what Jeff is expecting. Jeff is expecting to see some 350-yard drives right down the middle of the fairway. Right, Jeff? I mean, if I've had a supernatural experience with God about how to play golf, then you're expecting, you know, pars and birdies and eagles and chips and, you know, 30-foot. Forget putts. I'm going to drop the ball right next to the cup on my approach shot. Jeff's like, man, if he's had a supernatural experience with God, he's going to be something radically different about his golf game. But if Jeff and I go out to play golf and there is absolutely no change in my golf game, Jeff is going to question the validity of my claim. Jeff's going to say, Bobby, come on, with this whole, I met with God, he, he, yeah, I just think you, you, yeah, you had a nightmare or a dream or something went wrong there, but I'm challenging the validity of your claim. And I know it's a rough illustration, but let me see if I can make the application. This morning, all across the land, churches are filled with people claiming that they are followers of Christ, and that they have been filled with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, that God has entered their lives, given them eternal life, and given them a supernatural ability to be followers of Christ, to build up the church, and to do whatever God has challenged them to do to make a difference in this world. Christians are claiming that they were dead in trespasses and sins, and now they are born again to new life in Jesus Christ, and yet those outside of the church are seeing absolutely no difference in our lives. They have legitimate grounds to challenge the validity of our claim. This is my indictment of all of us this morning. When the world sees no difference in our lives and we claim to have met with God and been filled with His Spirit, and the world says, yeah, I'm just not seeing it. Just not seeing it. They have a valid argument to question our claim or even worse for us, they have a valid argument to question the validity of our God. Because the people who claim to have been filled with the presence of God, have no evidence of change in their life. We, who have received the Holy Spirit of God, 
know for a fact that we often lack love. We often are just pessimistic continually. We often do not display kindness. We often do not spread joy. We often are not filled with peace. Those are the very fruits of the Spirit. And when the world's looking at us and saying, wow, I just am not seeing how Christ is making a difference in your life, something is very wrong. Especially when some of our unbelieving friends are loving and are kind and are compassionate and do care. It makes them look at us and say, well, wow, I don't even see in you what I hope I see in myself. So how has the Holy Spirit radically altered your life? Now, there's my indictment, and I don't want to go much further with that because I know that's heavy. But in the coming weeks, I want us all together as a church to examine who the Holy Spirit is. Let's have a multi-week conversation about this. Let's talk about who the Holy Spirit is and what He is doing and what the implications of His presence is for our lives. As you read the Bible, it's obvious, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's obvious that these apostles, these first disciples, these first batch of Christians had the physical presence of Jesus there with them. And we read that, and as we're reading that, we're thinking, man, they had such an advantage over us. And, and I'm guessing, that's just a guess, but if I'm guessing if I polled you very privately this morning and said, hey, would you rather have the Holy Spirit or would you rather have Jesus show up at your house and live with you for a few years? That most Christians would say, I would rather have Jesus physically here for a little bit. Because I think it would radically transform my life. Yet, Jesus said exactly the opposite. Now this was hard for me to wrestle with. Because I'm thinking, if I could just hang out with Jesus for a year. You, you know what I'm saying. Just really hang out for Jesus. Then, then I, I could get so many questions answered. And get so much of my bad thinking and bag, everything straightened out. And I would know some things that I really need to know. But Jesus seemed to think otherwise. He seemed to be saying exactly the opposite of what we are thinking. So one of us is thinking incorrectly. I'll let you figure out who that is. Here's what Jesus actually said to them. I'm going right back where we were last week. Upper room discourse runs for 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John. Multiple chapters, five chapters of John, one running conversation. Don't let the chapter breaks confuse you. It's one conversation. Here's what Jesus told them, John 16. But verily, truly. This means like, I swear on a Bible in court. Okay? Truly, truly. Verily, truly. Very truly, I tell you. It is for your good that I'm going away. Jesus seems to think this is what we need. Not Him here physically, God here spiritually. Because unless I go away, the Advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And I want you to begin to setting up something in your mind that, you know, Jesus came to this earth. God came to the earth as Jesus. Now Jesus is saying, okay, I was sent here by the Father. Now I'm going to heaven and I'm going to send the Spirit. It's almost like the Father sent the Son and now the Son's going to send the Spirit. And you say, well, which one is God? Yes, they all are. And so Jesus will say things like, you know, I and my Father are one. The Father has given all things in my hand. Whatever the Father says, that's what I say. And anyway, so just, I know this Trinity is hard. It's difficult to get in your mind. But Jesus is saying, I'm going away and it's better for you. And I'll tell you why it's better. Because if Jesus is meeting with the twelve apostles in Jerusalem, then how, who's meeting with the hundreds of us in Keller, Texas? We want God also. 
We want to have an encounter with God. We want to have the personal experience with God. We don't want... I mean, I'm glad Peter had that. But I want it too. I want to know Him, Paul said. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. I want to know Him too. And if He's localized in a body... I mean, surely you get this. You're only one place at one time. You'd like to clone yourself maybe some days and do multiple things, but you're just localized in one spot. So God said, okay, then I'm going to go, and it's good for you that I'm going to go. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. These three years have been great. It's been awesome, but it's going to be better when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. So this is what I want you to get. Jesus promised it would be better when the Holy Spirit came to live in us than it was in those three years when Jesus was with him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said things to his disciples like, greater things, you've seen what I've done, greater things will you do. When the Holy Spirit comes, what you're going to do, listen, you've seen what I'm doing, you're going to do awesome. So with that in mind, I want to talk about the promise. The first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible... Is actually in the second verse of the first chapter. As soon as you open your Bible, you're going to be confronted with the Holy Spirit of God. Genesis chapter 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. <clears throat> I mean, as soon as we get started... In the beginning, God created. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the creation. You go read John 1 and the book of Colossians, and you'll find that without Jesus was not anything made that was made. You've got the whole Trinity, essentially, at the moment of creation working. And right out of the gate, Moses has introduced you to the Spirit of God moving upon creation. Now, I don't want to say the Spirit's not in the Old Testament. The Spirit is very much in the Old Testament. Okay, so I want to be careful how I say this. The Holy Spirit is very prevalent throughout the Old Testament. But He's prevalent in the Old Testament in a way that appears different somehow to how you experience His presence today. Yes, in the old days, the Holy Spirit is right there. Right in the second verse of your Bible. And then he's going to be there all through and you're going to see all kinds of things where it's talking about the Spirit of God. But it seems different, his work, in somehow it's different than what you're experiencing today. It's clear from Genesis 2 that God was working in creation and in many acts that will follow. And the Spirit is efficacious in whatever God is doing. In other words, whatever God's doing, the Spirit is right there doing it, and it's effective. The Holy Spirit is making things happen. But something's just not the same as it is on this side of Calvary and the resurrection. God's presence was primarily discussed, primarily viewed as being in the temple or tabernacle. Let's go back to those pictures now in your head. There's a tabernacle in the wilderness and a pillar of fire goes up through the roof of it and there's a, a cloud that overshadows everything and you knew God's presence was there and if you wanted to have an encounter with God, the tabernacle or later the permanent building, the temple would be the place. The presence of God's there. You say, I want to go up to the Father's house. Well, there it is. I want to go pray to God. Right up there is where you go pray. I want to go make an offering to God. Go right up there and make it. I want to go be in the presence of God. Go right up there. He's in His holy temple. And that's where you would encounter that the presence of God. Now, it's not that they didn't believe He was omnipotent. But if you wanted to connect with Him, there He was. He was there in a physical and spiritual manifestation right there in a physical building. Let me say it another way. Individuals are not being spoken of as temples of God in the Old Testament, at least beyond Genesis chapter number 3. Okay, In Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I can make an argument for that, but beyond that, you're not hearing about God saying, okay, you're my temple and, and I'm going to be in you and I'm going to live in you. It seems that in the Old Testament, 
special people had the Spirit of God. And of course, when you see that, you're like, well, who's special? (laughs) Am I one of those special people? Uh, Special people had the Spirit of God. And those special people, uh, by that I mean people who were commissioned for special service. Particularly, people who were prophets, judges, kings. I could probably throw in priests and give you some other illustrations, but let me give you three easy ones. People who were commissioned for special service were special people with a special commissioning, and it, the Spirit came upon those people. These people had critical roles to move the story of God forward and the plan of God forward. And in those special roles, remember, there's no Bible. There's no Jesus yet. There's no Calvary. There's no death, burial, and resurrection. There's no gospel yet. They're being talked about as a foreshadowing. God will send His King. He will make things right. He, but it was all of those promises are future about redemption and resurrection and restoration. They're, they're still way out in the future. So God's Spirit came upon certain men and women in special times and special ways. And those men and women seemed to be in special roles. And God enabled them or empowered them to do incredibly brave and heroic things in their generation. They were called to speak truth to power, many of them, in circumstances that would be life-threatening. They were called to lead nations. They were called to repel the enemies of, of God's people. They were called to communicate the message of God. When society went horribly wrong, people like these judges were called to stand up and drive out the enemies and and call people uh, back to worshiping God and destroy the images. The prophets very much the same way. Let me just show you what this looks like in the Old Testament. Let me deal with a few judges. Obviously, the book of Judges becomes an easy uh, place to go to see this type of language. So let me read you some verses from the book of Judges. Judges chapter 3, verse 10. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. His name is Othniel. So he became Israel's judge and he went out to war. And God delivers the, the, the enemy king into Othniel's hands. You say, what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came on him. He was commissioned for service to go deliver Israel. And like a mighty warrior king, he went out to battle with the power of God on him and won the battle. Is that fair? Let's read a little bit further. Judges 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet and he summoned the Abiezerites to... You know about Gideon, right? He's another judge. He was a guy who actually was a coward and uh, just had terrible struggle with his faith. Never could... uh, just really testing God and testing God because he was so weak in his faith and so cowardly. And God said, I am going to work through you and make you a great deliverer. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he became a mighty judge and delivered Israel. Judges chapter 11, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Jephthah was an orphan that nobody was born illegitimately to questionable circumstances and was an outcast in society. And Jephthah was despised. Nobody would, had no standing in community because of his birth. And as a illegitimate son, uh, he kind of had orphan outcast status. But he was, a, he, was a, he was a great warrior. And when they got into a time of real trouble, they called Jephthah. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. And he crossed Gilead, Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And there he advanced against the Ammonites and he crushed them. So, short story, he crushed up. Judges chapter 14, here's something you'll, you'll remember. Judges 13, 14, 15, you're getting into some familiar territory. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. This would be Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands like you would rip a kitten apart. That's a pleasant image, isn't it? A young goat, same deal. Just the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. A lion jumped out. He's a young man at this point. 
And God's showing him, when my spirit comes upon you, you'll do mighty things. And you know the whole story of the mighty things that Samson did. So the judges were one class, is not the right word, but class of people commissioned for a particular task. And the spirit of God would come upon these men and women. Deborah was one of them. And, and they would deliver the nation uh, in mighty ways. They were fearless, courageous when the spirit of God came upon them. The uh, other class I talked about a moment is prophets. Now remember, prophets have a kind of, you know, a role of covenant enforcement. Uh, Israel is in a covenant, Abrahamic covenant, and sometimes they have to be reminded of the covenant terms and the covenant rules because they tend to go after idolatry and stray frequently. And so God will raise up a prophet and he'll call everybody to repentance. And a lot of the prophet talk is very judgmental and I'll, I'll show you one of those the spirit of the Lord came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest and he stood before the people and he said being filled with the spirit he said this is what the Lord says why do you disobey the Lord's commandments you will not prosper you have forsaken the Lord and he has forsaken you well there's a rough message right I mean, he's pronouncing judgment on the people because they're breaking the rules of the covenant. And if they want to abandon God and go after idols, then they will see if the idols can save you. I mean, that's a tough message. And it takes guts and courage to stand up and speak for the Lord in this way. And so the Spirit of God would come upon people like Zechariah. But the prophets weren't all doom and gloom. They, They had many wonderful things to say about the future Isaiah is one of those passages. Isaiah also filled with the Spirit as a prophet. Here's what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim... What kind of news? Good news. All right, now I'm interested. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. God has sent me, filled me with the Spirit to come and give you a message of gospel, of good news. I want to say something. God has a future. He's going to release the captives. He's going to heal you. He's going to raise you up. He's going to bring you together. As a matter of fact, that is Isaiah 61. It's a very important passage. It was to Jesus. When Jesus went to Nazareth after his baptism and preached his first sermon, that's the passage he preached. Jesus stood up and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he has anointed me to proclaim the deliverance. And he starts preaching about that and says, boom, this day, this passage is fulfilled in your ears. The Messiah is here and he is filled with the Spirit of God. Now their response was to try to throw him over a cliff and kill him. But that was uh, his being filled with the Spirit boldness moment. Let's deal with kings quickly. Uh, And I think this language in the Bible actually is what spilled over. And when you guys are watching, uh, you know, miniseries and stuff about kings in Europe, and you'll see some jerk of a king or queen, you know, stand up and say, I'm God's anointed and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, you know, who do they think they are? They got that language from these type of passages because kings have often had the understanding that the Spirit of God was upon them. They were selected by God, these families of kings and their children, to be the rulers of nations. And they were divinely appointed for these tasks. Now, I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying that's what they have often thought. In 1 Samuel chapter number 6, verse 13, Samuel took a horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Now you know that story is just a boy. They bring him from the sheepfold and they anoint him. And from that anointing, commissioning to be king, commissioning for service, the Spirit of God was upon him. And guess what he will do? Mighty things. Like the whole giant thing and many more that are going to happen in the life of David. Even Saul, who was kind of a jerk, uh, you read the story of Saul later and you wonder if he's even saved or not, where, where he really stands with God. In his early days when Samuel came to anoint Saul, here's what it says. 
Samuel, 1 Samuel 10, 6. The spirit of the, this is the prophet Samuel speaking to Saul. The spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul. And you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. I almost wonder if that's not foreshadowing for all of us this morning about what God wants to do in our lives. You're going to receive Christ as your Savior and the Spirit of God is going to come to live in your life. You're going to be a different person. And my challenge to you this morning is if you're not a different person, has the Spirit of God radically entered your life and changed you? This is going to be our challenge. God's presence, however you want to talk about it, was very unique. God's presence is unique. Especially in this Old Testament time, because the Spirit's presence does not seem to be a permanent indwelling as it is for us in the New Testament. Those same two kings that I just mentioned, David and Saul, let me just read something about those same two guys. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And an evil spirit came and tormented him. It's almost like God moved out. There's a vacuum. And the evil spirit moves in. And now he becomes a different person again. So different that now if you read the story, every time he finds David, he tries to kill David. Say why? Because David is filled with the spirit. And he is God's anointed. Let me read you this about David. You all know that in Psalm 51, David is definitely far from a perfect man. He's not a great father. He had an affair with Bathsheba. I I don't want to go into the whole story, but it's ugly. And even the best of Christians can certainly make some terrible choices. But here's the good news I have for all of you this morning. There is repentance in Jesus Christ. And there is forgiveness. And just because you made terrible decisions and maybe life has gone in a terrible direction for you, I want you to know that you have the hope to find a way back. God will forgive you. He said in 1 John, if you'll confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. There is always forgiving with Jesus. If you'll just come to Him and ask, it is there And it's available for you. And you're like, yeah, but he'll always hold it against me. He'll never hold it against you. Psalm 103, you should memorize. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's just like said, they're gone. Forever away. I will remember them no more. Listen, we talked about future judgment last week. Don't be nervous about future judgment. Your, Your sins were judged at the cross. No more can they be brought against you. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no for, therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can be brought against you. It's done. But I would suggest you keep your relationship up to date. <laughs> keep the communication open. Yeah. Stay in a good relationship with God and confess your sins as quick as you commit them would be great. And say, God, don't know what just happened there. So sorry. Forgive me. David had committed this adultery with Bathsheba, and it went further. There was a murder involved. You, you, it's, it's ugly. It's very ugly. And something happened. Nathan the prophet comes in and confronts King David and tells a story and basically says, King, God revealed to me your sin. You are in a bad way. And you need to get your life right with God. He's going to judge you. He's not going to kill you. But he's going to punish you because of this if you don't get this right. And David begins to repent. He wrote a beautiful song of repentance. If you've never read it, I'd really recommend it. Psalm 51 is David's song of repentance that he sang to God. It's the poem he wrote. It's his prayer to God asking for forgiveness. And I want to just show you something in the song. As David is asking for forgiveness, he says in Psalm 51, God... Do not cast me from your presence. 
or take your Holy Spirit from me. From a child, I've known what it's been like to have the Spirit of God upon me. When Samuel anointed me to be king, God's Spirit came upon my life. I have killed a giant. I have routed the Philistines in every battle. God, I have, I have delivered your people. I have written the book of Psalms. You understand I'm exaggerating, but I've written the, the songs. I have led in worship. I have recovered the Ark of the Covenant. God, I have followed you with my heart. Yes, I've made terrible, terrible sinful mistakes also. And I'm not saying I'm good or righteous. I'm saying forgive me. And please, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. I, I want to just fill in the blanks here. I could not imagine living without your Spirit. I could not imagine living without your presence, without your power, without your guidance, without your direction in my life every day. God, please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So here's what I want to say to you. When we're speaking about God's presence among humans, we are speaking temple language. Starts in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Starts again in the New Testament. We're talking about temple language. When God... Space connects with man's space. That's a temple. When you can walk into a temple, you expect to find God. You expect to find an image of God. When we're talking about temple uh, and God's presence among humans, you're talking about something special happening where heaven and earth are connecting In the Old Testament, as I said, they had that physical temple building. They had that physical tabernacle building where God's presence could be encountered. Yet God seems to be empowering special people for specific tasks. It does not seem to be normative for everyone. It just doesn't. Now, I know God's Spirit's there and I know He's moving with people. But this anointing we're talking about doesn't seem to be normative for everyone, only for those with special commissioning. And then all of a sudden, late in the Old Testament, the prophets started saying something different. I want to show it to you. They started talking about God's Spirit would inhabit all believers. This would be a big radical change for humanity. Joel the prophet said this, And afterward, I will pour my Spirit on all people, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, will I pour out my Spirit in those days. Joel is now saying that God's Spirit is going to be poured out upon all of God's people. But the big question for everybody is, how will that happen? What would that look like? A whole people inhabited by the Spirit of God? What would it look like? And what would have to transpire down here on planet Earth in order for God to be able to fill humanity with His Spirit? Well, I can summarize that story really quickly for you. What would have to happen is that God would have to send His King and He would live His life and He would suffer and He would die and He would rise again to open the way and make it possible for heaven and earth to reconnect in a temple format where every human being could be connected to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist was baptizing, as he opens the way for Jesus to begin his ministry, as John the Baptist opens the way, John begins to make astounding claims about Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. John tells us that Jesus has the Spirit and that He has the power to baptize us, give us, put us, put the Spirit in us or put us in the Spirit. Here's what John the Baptist said. This was his message, Mark 1. After me, after John, there's someone coming more powerful than I. John is speaking of Jesus. The straps of Jesus' sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So if you wonder how this ranks, I'm right here and he's way up here. He's not just another prophet. He's someone way beyond a prophet. And he's going to follow me. I'm baptizing you with water, but he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit. Something 
big is about to change. God sent the Son to effect your salvation, but the Son is about to give the Spirit to make our salvation fully effective. Jesus has unlimited access both to the Father and the Spirit. They are one. And since He has the full measure of the Spirit, He can pour out the Spirit. He has the power. Here's what He keeps saying. I'm going away, but I'm going to pour the Spirit out upon you. The Holy Spirit, I will send from the Father the Spirit to you. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Son is pouring the Spirit out upon you. I'm reading from John chapter 3. Famous passage. Nicodemus, John 3.16. You know where we're at in this passage. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son. This is Jesus talking. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything into His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has what? Eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for the wrath of God is on him. The Father has given me everything, and I'm going to pour the Spirit out, and if you believe on me, you're going to have eternal life, and I'm going to make that Holy Spirit in you like a well of living water flowing out of you. And after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, let me fast forward now. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he spent 40 days with his disciples. He appeared to them. He fellowshiped with them. They had a nice time together. And then he's going to ascend. We talked about the ascension a few weeks ago. And he keeps telling them, I'm going to leave. Don't just run off to all the foreign countries and start making disciples immediately. Wait for the promise of the Spirit. I just, in my mind, I just think language like, you know, don't go out there and hurt yourself until you're empowered. You know, don't go out there and try to do a work that you can't do without the Spirit. Wait for the Spirit. Don't, don't run off and, and try to do something you're not, you're not able of your own to do what I'm, you're commissioned for special service, but you're going to have to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God's Spirit in your life Let me ascend, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. Let me read to you what it looked like in Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for a period of over 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what he spoke about it. It's here. That's what he spoke about. It's here. I'm in charge. Get with it. That's what he spoke. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Yeah, he spoke about it for five running chapters, at least. Then they gathered around, or for John baptized with water, sorry, verse 5. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's going to be poured out upon all believers. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Okay, Lord, are you going to go up and rule from Jerusalem now? Are you going to go restore the kingdom? (sighs) He's like, "We're we're at that again. But don't be frustrated. They've got the right question. They've just got the wrong timing. It is the right question. And they got it from the Old Testament. Their theology is not bad. Their timing is bad. He's like, no, uh, not yet. The the, the dates and the times are under the Father's control in his own authority. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the... When you have the Holy Spirit, then you will be empowered to go and do the mission that I have left for the church to do, Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. You will be ready for it when the Holy Spirit comes. Now, it's still a promise But then you turn one page in your Bible, that's Acts 1, you turn to Acts 2, and then it happened. Let me read it for you. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the believers. When the day of Pentecost came, they were gathered together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now that was quite a sight and it was mind-blowing and everybody's like, we're freaked out, we don't know what it means. Peter says in verse 16, no, this is what was spoken by Joel the prophet that I just read you. In the last days, God will pour out my spirit upon my people. All your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will see dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The prophets told us it would happen. They said this is going to happen. That God would no longer come and go, as it were, in the lives of special people. Instead, a day was coming when the Spirit of God would be poured out into the heart and life of every believer. Get this. He would stay with us. He would live in us. Let me go back to where we were last week in John 14. God would make His home in us. And God's people would no longer follow Him distantly. Instead, every believer would be inhabited as a living temple of the Holy Spirit of God. God is in His people. This is the important thing for you to know. God is in His people. Now let me read what I read last week, John 14. And I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and He will give you another advocate to help you, and He will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you, and He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And what Jesus promised for five running chapters in the book of John, 13 through 17, has now come to pass. The Spirit of God has now been given to every believer. We have the Spirit of God. Let me say it another way. God's Spirit inhabits special people. Ladies and gentlemen who followed Christ, you are those special people. You all have the commission of God upon your life now. We don't have a special priest class, king class, prophet class. You are prophet, priest, and king. You are everything. You have the commissioning of God upon you and the Spirit of God in you. And Jesus says, this is way better than me being here physically. I've now made all of you priests and kings and prophets and disciple makers. Not everybody could meet with me physically, but I will come to you in spirit form and I can make my home with every believer. Now think about this. In my Father's house are many rooms. The temple is no longer a big building sitting on a mountain. Now the temple of God has many rooms. There's a couple of hundred of them looking at me right now. Living temples. Living dwelling places for the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we have not experienced Christ. What, what I'm saying is not in the way the apostles did. But each of us have experienced the Holy Spirit of God. We've never broken bread with Jesus and you know, had fellowship and communion with Him in a physical way like the disciples did. It was a very physical experience for them. They were eyewitnesses of all that He did and said, Yet every believer hearing my voice this morning has had a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit of the living God. You say, well, I've never met Jesus. No, but you've met the other part of God. You've met the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you how it began. He convicted you of your sin. 
He began to work on your heart and draw you to Christ. He began to turn your eyes to Jesus Christ. And He got you into a conversation, whether it was in a church or with a co-worker or a family member, where you could start hearing the Gospel. And as the Gospel was going out and someone was telling you about a Savior who died for your sins, the Holy Spirit was working in your life already saying, this is the truth. You need to listen to this. You need to do this. This is, this is what God has for your life. And the Holy Spirit drew you for salvation. And you called upon Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And God has poured His Spirit into your heart and into your life. Now here's our challenge. We may have a house guest that we have not acknowledged. You may have something, someone living in you that you're completely ignoring. Now, I know how that looks. Susan and I entertain a lot at our house. And I can't imagine, Susan, what it would be like if people knocked at our door and we didn't let them in. They let themselves in and we didn't serve them and they just went to the refrigerator to find some leftovers and we never greeted them and never had a conversation with them. I just can't imagine that would be a great experience for our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. He may be unacknowledged and ignored. And that's something you and I are going to have to deal with today. Remember, the Spirit enables you and empowers you to fill a commission. Let me close it this way. God is saying to you this morning, you are my kingdom representatives. I have commissioned you. You are my voice. You, my people, are my ambassadors. He may be saying to us this morning, people, go ahead And take some risks. Go ahead and be courageous and speak boldly and give lavishly and go ahead and put yourself out there because I'm right here and I will enable you and I will sustain you and I will do supernatural things in your life. What I want you to see this morning is that God made you a promise to give you His Spirit and He has delivered on His promise. He has taken up residence in your heart and in your life and He will fulfill that promise. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And if you will just cooperate, He has promised to transform your life. But we're going to have to acknowledge Him. And we're going to have to give the controls to him. And that scares us a little bit to give control to someone else. But in this case, you don't have to be scared about who you're giving control to. You're giving control to God. And he loves you. And it's all going to be good. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want us to make just a few Matters of prayer about what you've heard. When we bow our heads and close our eyes, you're, you're hopefully been very challenged about this Spirit of God that's living inside of you and what your interaction has been with Him, what it needs to be with Him. This morning, I want you to open yourself up to renewing your relationship with the Spirit of God. In this moment right now, however you can word this prayer in your heart, I want you to begin to acknowledge that God has sent His Spirit into your life. However you can say that to God, say, God, I... I, I I acknowledge this. I accept it. It is a fact. You have sent your spirit into my life. 
Acknowledge that God has made a home in you. Maybe you'd like to say some things about that. I know if you came to my home, I would say welcome. If you came to my home, I would say glad to have you. I'm so excited that you would come and honor us with your presence. I would say something like, could I get you something? Is there anything I could do for you while you're here to make you comfortable and make it pleasant for you to be in my home? You may say, where where should I sit? And I would say, here, take the best seat. This one's really comfortable. Be here. Be here in the prominent place. The Holy Spirit has come into your life. I want you to welcome him as if you would welcome him into your home. And then I would like for you to tell God how honored you are that the living God would send His Spirit to come and live with you. If you came to our home, we might say, man, we're so honored to have you. Thank you for coming to spend time with us. Such a blessing to have your presence in our home and to have you as a part of our life. now I feel like each one of us could probably ask for forgiveness some sins of neglecting the Holy Spirit ignoring the Holy Spirit tuning out his voice and leadership or maybe your body which is his temple Maybe you've just dishonored your body with your lifestyle in such a way that you're embarrassed that God would be right there with you all the time. Maybe maybe that's a matter of repentance this morning. This church collectively as a body of believers is also called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe you've neglected body life, church life community small group discipleship corporate worship communion maybe you've just neglected that and it's not been a priority in your life yet the Holy Spirit says that's a big deal to me because I dwell in this temple this collective temple of believers so when you neglect that you are neglecting something that's very important to me and maybe you need to make some Resolution and repentance on that matter this morning. I think for each of us right now, we should be praying to God and say, God, I, I want to just say to you that I'm open to your spirit living in me. I am open to encountering you and knowing you in a spiritual way. I acknowledge I have no spiritual life without you. And I can't do what the Father wants me to do without you. Would you flood my life with your presence and help me as I renew my relationship with you, God, today? Father, bless your people as we seek to reconnect with you in a very spiritual way. And to live up to this understanding that we are your temples. And your spirit lives in us. Holy Spirit. We apologize. We repent for neglecting our relationship. For not listening to your voice. Lord as a people we are open to you. We want to hear from you. We want to fellowship with you. Lord, challenge us in these weeks and help us to renew our walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's stand together. Hope that challenges your soul this morning. Let's say the Apostles' Creed together and we will be dismissed. Hopefully some of this is becoming like memory to you. Watch the Trinitarian sections unfold now. Let's begin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen.